Hello, this is 2SER, 107.3 on the FM dial, the Sahaja Yoga Meditation Program. And today we're going to be doing just that, considering meditation. We have a special, and to many listeners, a very familiar voice to help us, Dr. Ramesh Anoksha. Peter Airfeld is on the panel, and this is Brian Bell on the microphone. Welcome. We find what is probably the oldest definition of meditation in the epic Sanskrit text, the Mahabharata, where the one who meditates is described as he who does not hear, does not smell, neither does he taste or see or experience touch. Likewise, his mind ceases to imagine. He desires nothing and is like a log, he does not think. Then later in the Upanishads, when all the five senses in the mind are still and reason itself rests in silence, then begins the path supreme. This calm steadiness of the senses is called yoga. Then one should be watchful because yoga comes and goes. And then later still, in the Tao Chi Ching, Lao Tse writes, empty your mind of all thoughts. Let your heart be at peace. In the earliest text, meditation was referred to also as silent mental silence. More recently, Srimataji Nirmala Devi, the founder of Sahaja Yoga, named that same state thoughtless awareness drawing attention to the fact that meditation is not a trance, that one does not go off with the pixies, one stays conscious and detached from all the sounds around, but mentally quiet. The brain stops thinking. Mental stillness is another name for the same process. There are, unfortunately, some forms of so-called meditation that aim to fill up the brain with colours or pleasant recollections of childhood or, or mantras or good thoughts, but these do not bring about the valuable state of thoughtless awareness. In fact, they form a barrier preventing thoughtless awareness. Srimakaji frequently pointed out that regular meditation draws us away from the future and from the past, away from tensions on one side and depressions on the other, away from the over-emotional or the over-active into the center, into the balance, into the place of relaxation and deep understanding. Meditation, morning and night, she said, can bring about health, well-being, the solutions to day-to-day -day problems, confidence, peace of mind, and an inner joy. Regular meditation, she said, is the answer to most of the problems that the world continually throws up. Here she is in a very early and, and not very brilliantly recorded talk discussing meditation. 
We cannot meditate. We only can be in meditation. When we say we are going to meditate, it has no meaning. We have to be in meditation. Either you are inside the house or outside the house. You cannot be inside the house and then say that now I am outside the house. Or when you are outside the house, you cannot say I am inside the house. In the same way, we, you are moving in three dimensions of your life, of emotional and physical and mental being. <coughs> you are not inside yourself. But when you are inside that you are in thoughtless awareness, then not only that you are there, but you are everywhere, because that is the place, that is the point where you are really in universe. From there you are in contact with the principle, with the Shakti, with the power that permeates into every particle that is matter, into every thought that is emotion, into every planning and thinking of the whole world. You permeate into all the elements that have created this beautiful earth. You permeate into earth, you permeate into akasha, into teja, into sound. But <coughs> your movement is very slow. Then you say, I'm meditating. That means you are moving in permeation with the universal being. But you are not moving yourself. You are just unloading yourself to be free from the weight of things that do not allow you to move. <coughs> when you are in meditation, you must allow yourself to be in thoughtless awareness. There the unconscious itself, the achetana itself, will take charge. You will start moving with the force of atit. The unconscious is going to work it out. It is going to take you there where it wants you to go. You keep to thoughtless awareness all the time. Try to keep to thoughtless awareness as much as you can. When you are in thoughtless awareness, you must know that you are in the kingdom of God. Through Sahaja Yoga, you have opened your gates of your own being. You have entered into your own kingdom, but you do not keep there, you come out of it. And again you go back and settle down. That's matter. You should not feel so disappointed about it, so frustrated. You know, people have worked for thousands of years and they could not separate themselves from themselves. Only you people, the Sahaja Yogi, 
whom are made after the pattern of Sri Ganesh himself are so powerful that they can give awakening and realization to other people. Even if you are caught up, you have seen you have powers. Even if you feel that the vibrations are not coming, you know you have powers. You can give realizations. Maharshi was a wonderful 20th century Indian sage who influenced a number of notable people during his lifetime, including author Somerset Maugham and New Age writer Paul Brunton, whose search for secret India was a major influence on me in my early, year, my early years. Ramana Maharshi made the link between mental silence and self-realization. He said, Self-realization is the cessation of all mental activity. Thoughts are like bubbles on the surface of the sea. And he also said, stillness means being free from thoughts and yet aware. On one occasion he described the Sahaja state. In this state you remain calm and composed during activity. You realize that you are moved by the deeper self within and are unaffected by what you do or say or think. You have no worries, anxieties or cares, for you realize that there is nothing that belongs to you as ego and that everything is being done by something with which you are in conscious union. If you would like to gain this self-realization that Ramana Maharshi was talking about, this state where mental silence can be achieved and which has been the desire of seekers throughout history, then now is your opportunity. Srimataji Nirmaladevi was the first great spiritual figure to offer this self-realization 
en masse. In the past, it was only achieved individually through hard work and penance. But now, all you have to do is slip off your shoes to be closer to Mother Earth, sit comfortably on the floor or a chair, place the hands on the lap, palm upward, and listen for the next 10 minutes to Shramataji. Please close your eyes, not very tightly, and till I tell you, please don't open your eyes. Please put your right hand on your heart. Here, you have to ask me a very fundamental question about yourself. Three questions, three times. Three times you have to ask. You can call me Mother or you can call me Shri Mataji, whatever you like. So ask a question, Mother, am I the Spirit? Please ask this question in your heart three times. Mother, am I the Spirit? You are the Spirit, then you are your Master. So now please take your right hand on top of your center, which is placed in the upper portion of your abdomen, on the left-hand side. Now press it there and ask another fundamental question, Mother, Am I my own master? Ask this question three times. Mother, am I my own master? Ask this question three times. I have already told you that I respect your freedom and I cannot force pure Divine knowledge on you. You have to ask for it. So take your right hand in the low portion of your abdomen on the left-hand side and here you have to ask six times because this center has got six petals. <coughs> Mother, please give me pure Divine knowledge. Ask six times, Mother, please give me pure Divine knowledge. As soon as you ask this question, the Kundalini starts rising. So now we have to nourish the higher centers with our self-confidence. Raise your right hand in the upper portion of your abdomen on the left-hand side. Here you have to say with full self-confidence ten times, 
Mother, I am my own master. Please say this ten times with full confidence. <clears throat> I have already told you at the very outset that you are not this body, this mind, these emotions, this intelligence, this ego and conditionings, but you are the pure spirit. So now raise your right hand on the left hand side on your heart and here you have to say with full confidence again twelve times, Mother, I am the pure spirit. Mother, I am the pure spirit. Please say this twelve times. <coughs> I have told you that this all-pervading power is the ocean of knowledge, ocean of compassion ocean of bliss, but above all it is the ocean of forgiveness and whatever mistakes you have committed can be easily dissolved by it. So please forgive yourself and put your right hand in the corner of your neck and your shoulder and turn your head to your right. Here you have to say again with full confidence sixteen times, Mother, I am not guilty at all. Please say this. Mother, I am not guilty at all. Please say it sixteen times. <coughs> I have already explained that whether you forgive or you don't forgive, you don't do anything. <coughs> but if you don't forgive, then you play into wrong hands. And at this moment especially, you should forgive so that this Agya Chakra, which is a very constricted centre, will open out. So, here, now you put your right hand on top of your forehead and put it down. Put it down, put down your head. Please, here you have to say, <coughs> not how many times, but from your heart you have to say, Mother, I forgive everyone. And don't think about the people whom you have to forgive. Just say, Mother, I forgive everyone in general. Don't think about them. I find this is the most constricted centre here. Please, please forgive, otherwise you'll miss the point. From your heart, just say. All right. Now please take your right hand on the back side of your head and push back your head. 
This is the center where you have to ask forgiveness from the divine power, without feeling guilty, without counting your mistakes, just for your satisfaction. So here you say again from the heart, not how many times, O divine power, please forgive me if I have done anything wrong knowingly or unknowingly. O Divine Power, please forgive me if I have done anything wrong knowingly or unknowingly. Say it from your heart, not how many times is not the point. Now, stretch your palm fully and put it, the center of your palm on the fontanelle bone area, which was a soft bone in your childhood. Now press back your fingers as far as possible. And with the pressure move your scalp. But before doing that, please put down your head. Now here, <coughs> again, I cannot force self-realization on you. You have to ask for it. So move your hand so that you move the scalp well with a pressure, saying seven times, Mother, please give me Self-realization. Move it clockwise, slowly. Push back your fingers, push back your fingers. Now take down your hands and slowly open your eyes, please. Now put both the hands towards me like Now, please put down your head and see for yourself with the sorry, with the left hand first. See with the left hand if there's a cool or a hot breeze coming out of your fontanelle bone area. It may be very close to your head, but it should, should be above, not on top. Your hand should be above. Please bend your head. Or some people get it very far also. Whichever way you move your hand and see for yourself. Now, please put the left hand towards me. You have to bend your head, otherwise it doesn't show well. Please put the left hand towards me and put down your head and see if there's a cool or a hot breeze-like sensation or energy coming out of your head. Just see yourself. Put down your head, put down, otherwise you won't feel it. Now, please put the right hand. Again, if you have not forgiven, it would be very hot, so please forgive. Now bend your head again and forgive and see if there's a cool breeze or a hot breeze coming out of your fontanelle bone area.
The quotations earlier in the program were all from Dr. Ramesh Menoksha's book, Silence Your Mind, which incidentally is now into its fourth printing and has sold over 10,000 copies. Well, here is another quotation from Silence Your Mind. It was spoken by Ayrton Senna, the Brazilian Formula One driver, after he had broken lap records. Suddenly, he says, I realized that I was no longer driving consciously, and I was driving by instinct only. I was in a different dimension. I was well beyond my conscious understanding. Ramesh, what is that racing driver referring to? Well, um, Brian, he's talking about uh, a state of awareness that in the 1970s, uh, researchers like Mahali Csikszentmihalyi described as or termed flow. I think the most uh, significant thing is that he's not the only person to describe this experience. And in fact, in the past uh, few years, a number of uh, researchers, writers, authors, uh, both academic and otherwise, have produced works documenting um, this experience amongst elite athletes and other people who've risen to the top of their, uh, their profession. Huh. And uh, uh, this has been documented? Absolutely. This is... Uh, uh, the experience of flow is a um, well-documented, widely accepted uh, phenomenon um, that has pretty much become a, a foundation concept within the field of positive psychology. And th this is, in a, in a way, the, this focus, this concentration, that, or no, concentration is perhaps not the right word, but this um, uh, focused energy flow is um, akin to meditation? Well, flow is um, probably is something that most uh, uh, experts would say is something that everyone experiences at some time. And essentially, we could say that flow is, occurs any time that our, we are fully engrossed in the performance of a task. And it doesn't actually matter what that task is. So it can be raking leaves, it can be uh, chopping vegetables, it can be um, computer programming, uh, martial arts, um, doing ballet, performing surgery, it's any time that our attention becomes so fully engrossed in the performance of a task, usually, usually a task that's somewhat challenging, but not so challenging that we can't do it. Uh, and, and as a result, the performance of that task demands every faculty of our awareness to be engaged. And what people describe when they enter into that state is that there's it's like there's no room for any extraneous or unnecessary thinking. So what we start to, to see are uh, the descriptive features of this experience become very similar to the descriptive features of thoughtless awareness, the thing that Srimadaji describes as the essential meditative uh, um, ingredient. So, so you're saying that uh, almost everybody has experienced this flow and therefore it shouldn't be too difficult to experience the thoughtless awareness. <laughs> exactly. Even uh, Csikszentmihalyi, who uh, pioneered the concept of flow, um, clearly said that 
you know when you know, when we're young children that that joy of just playing whether it's uh dress ups or uh pretend or um uh mucking around in the backyard riding a bicycle that joyful immersion in play that children have is actually the flow state and then as we get older we find that as our our central nervous system and as our personality becomes more sophisticated we require more challenging tasks in order to regain that flow experience so um and it surprised me as i was researching for this book what occurred to me was that this whole area of flow research what abraham maslow described as peak experiences uh was an endeavor on the part of western science to try and capture and understand a dimension of human experience um completely independently of the ancient eastern thinking and ideas about meditation and yet the two streams of understanding on the one side the ancient eastern tradition of yoga and meditation and on the other side the very modern notion of peak performance and optimal states of being and hence flow converge on the same experiential phenomena which we can describe as thoughtless awareness in the meditative state is it uh, easy you're talking about the young young people there being involved in uh, uh, in their activities in a way which is similar to, or if not is actually flow and i'm sure we've all seen that as well um and it's it's engaging to watch because nothing else seems to matter to those kids no, nothing else gets in the way nothing else is, con is concerns them is it, 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 it as we get older this becomes less of a, an ability but is it uh, is it easier to bring back what i'm suggesting is uh if people are if if kids from an early age are, are are um encouraged or even trained to continue that flow experience into uh into for into years into later years does that make uh, the the joys and the rewards of meditation easier more accessible well that's an interesting question uh our research has shown uh, our direct experience in field research has shown that children are very natural meditators and when we demonstrate the the methodologies of sahaja yoga for example to children it takes them much less time to to tap into that experience as compared to adults and and a lot of that's as you say because we become a little more uh, mentally sophisticated with every uh year that we age and sometimes uh, by the time we're you know adults fully grown adults we have kind of forgotten that natural ability to be in the present moment which children have and yes if we were to teach them a technique of a technique that enabled them to hold on to that capacity while at the same time uh develop their intellectual sophistication I think that would be a great asset because not only would that enable them to tap into that natural ability that a child has to be happy and content and in the present but you're actually be fortifying them um against many of the mental health 
uh, or mental illnesses um, that we become vulnerable to as we age, primarily because of the dysfunctional thinking that, that overwhelms our awareness at times. In this program, uh, Ramesh, we, we frequently talk about um, meditation of 10 minutes, quarter of an hour in the morning and 10 minutes, quarter of an hour at night. Um, and in the early days, of course, that is valuable and very important to, uh, to gain that experience so that uh, meditation becomes an understandable and, and, and clear thing. But uh, the, your quotation in the book from Ram, Ramana Maharshi, for instance, is implying uh, and even stating perhaps that uh, the thoughtless awareness state is something one can live in. Absolutely, and I think uh, uh, that's uh, what not only Ramana Maharshi um, uh, was encouraging people to do, but in, in fact, of, of course, uh, Sri Mataji through her technique of Saja Yoga. But this idea has been promoted for uh, time immemorial um, in the Eastern um, uh, texts, and it became um, uh, popularized in central India in medieval times with people, poet saints, of which uh, probably the best example is a, a person called Eknath, who achieved his self-realization and hence the skill of, of thought subjugation or the experience of thoughtless awareness and, and higher states, while at the same time being a grahasta, which is a householder. And he said, this is actually the future destiny of all people. And he's just the first flower on a on a tree that is destined to to uh, bring forth many flowers and the skill of living a mundane life we could call it uh, the householder's life um, cleaning the house uh, holding down a job cooking all these mundane things uh, living in a street in a suburb or in a town but at the same time being immersed in the experience of inner silence I think many of us have experienced the the way in which being drawn away from the um, the demands of one side or the other. In other words, you know the the the, the nature of the brain takes us into either feeling sad for ourselves or feeling uh, overexcited about ourselves. In other words we can either get ourselves lost into the past, into depressions, or into the future, into the, and into planning and organizing. It's um, the, those two aspects of the brain seem to be very strong and demanding. Uh, but I, I think um, most or all, all of Sahaja Yogis have, have experienced this coming to the center uh, and where the, the past and the future don't have any great meaning. I mean, what, what, one, what Shramati calls it, and I, I love the phrase, um, the ever-present now. Uh, we mightn't have achieved, a, well, I certainly haven't achieved an ever-present now that is everlasting. But uh, when, when it is there, it, anything can be achieved. I find you know, like it's it's so easy to access uh, material and thoughts, and and even doing jobs seems to be so much easier. So it's not as if it's uh, 
if 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 this meditative state is is cutting one's oneself off from living in the same way as flow is not cutting oneself off from the sporting activity one is involved in. Well, yes, I think um, what you're getting at is is the same thing that uh, people who have been studied in flow states describe, and that is that in the state of flow, it's not a reduction in awareness or a reduction in output, but in fact it's an enhancement of awareness and uh, uh, an increased ability to tap one's potential to perform, um, to generate uh, creative uh, solutions, to, to bring about positive outcomes. And um, what people who experience flow regularly have described in Csikszentmihalyi's research and other people's, uh, Abraham Maslow's research, is that when they're in these states, because these thoughts about past and future have fallen away, and as these flow states become progressively more intense, their awareness becomes more and more elevated. They lose uh, the connection with their ego, their own petty uh, preferences and tap into something much higher which enables them to do so much more and that's why, why <clears throat> the paradigm of flow offers us something very important um, by which we can better understand meditation because Western science for so long um, has tried to conceptualize meditation as uh, a way of relaxing of reducing stress of or zoning out or an escape Yes, but in fact, it's not zoning out, it's actually being in the zone. So meditation is about tapping our optimal functional capability, about being even more uh, human, but positively more human uh, than we are when we're not in that state of flow. And, and uh, the conundrum that the flow researchers came across was that they, while they recognized the, the immense potential of this experience, they could not develop ways to bring it about at mm -hmm. will. And this is what the East, Eastern tradition offers us, is that they've recognized this flow state, you could call it, this, and this optimal state that comes about at the peak end of flow, which they call the Sahaj state. And they develop methodologies to achieve that experience systematically and at will. And this is where the yoga meditation tradition comes from. Is, would this, is this the answer to the um, to the, the sport training people's problem? Don't don't try and scientifically work it out, but uh, introduce meditation. I think it is, and uh, I've worked with a small number of um, uh, professional athletes around this concept, and I noticed something very interesting because. I, I worked with um, what you would call the reserve grade, the, the newbies, in uh, a couple of professional football teams um, in the AFL. And I also worked with the guys who had been on the team for several years, so the seasoned performers. And the difference that I noticed was that the newbies were actually not that good at meditating. They're still working out how to bring out that peak performance every time trying to get the brain out into gear yeah. but the seasoned players seem to have a natural understanding of what this meditative state was and ah. they actually knew they seem to have a more instinctive understanding 
of that state of being in the present moment and therefore were better prepared for this meditative experience. So that was my, my experience just working with two um, AFL football teams a couple of years ago. And that seems to match this whole larger paradigm or uh, perspective that I developed, I suppose, while writing the book, and that is that the elite performers, the guys who've learned how to tap that capacity to perform easily, regularly, to the point where they have risen to the top of their field, are the same people who've somehow come to understand the interaction between their body, their mind, their awareness, their focus, and their performance, so that they are more familiar directly or indirectly, accidentally or on purpose, they've become much more familiar with the experience of the present moment and hence the meditative state. Very interesting. The stories are told of composer uh, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, how he, he would excuse himself from a game of billiards, billiards with his friend, sit in the corner, following up ideas that have occurred to him during the game. He'd work through a new piece of music in his head and, and when, com when completed, he'd tuck that piece of music into his mental library and go back to the game. It would, would this be an example of flow? Well, at the risk of um, trying to interpret uh, a genius like Mozart, um, I would propose that perhaps what he was doing was, during the billiard game, he was using the billiard game as a vehicle to focus his awareness on the present moment. It was a way for him to get into the meditative state. And then in that meditative state, he became open to all the creative uh, impulses and energies that surround us. You could say you call it the universe or the cosmos or whatever. And so the solutions and the inspirations that flow from that then were able to enter into his awareness. And then he'd go and write it down. Or while think it, was, it through. Or non-think it through. <laughs> and... Uh, and he'd go and write it down before he forgot. No, he didn't write it down. Oh. That's the point. He, uh, uh, what is interesting is that he'd, he'd work it out in his brain yes. and then tuck it into his memory. Okay. So, so he had a solid memory as well. Yes, he, well, probably. He was, he was a genius. So let's, let's not try and understand genius too much. <laughs> but basically, uh, he, the billiard, billiard game became the vehicle yeah. to tap the meditative experience. He then processed that and put it away somewhere, remembered it or wrote it down, doesn't really matter, and then went back to his game because he wanted to, needed that vehicle again to get back into the creative state, which was in the present moment. Well, from the present moment uh, of uh, what we're talking about uh, 250 years ago, here's a duet from Mozart's Z uh, Magic Flute. It's the heart of the opera, music about the power of love to overcome all obstacles and bring about peace and understanding. Wir wollen uns in Liebe 
talking to Ramesh Manoksha about the links between meditation and flow. As I mentioned earlier, Ramesh's book has sold over 10,000 copies and the publication of the international editions is being negotiated. We have copies of the Silent Your Mind book, which we'll post out to the first listeners who phone in. We'll give you the telephone number in, in a short time. Ramesh, have... Have your, has your research uh, continued on this matter of flow since, the, since what you report in the book? Well, yes, we've, um, uh, I suppose you could say we've, we've done further confirmatory studies that uh, more or less uh, replicate the findings described in the book, which is that when we mathematically analyse, statistically analyse the relationship between self-reported experience of mental silence and self-reported experience of flow using what we call validated instruments um, that map out the experiential features of these two phenomena. There's a substantial persistent correlation between the two. So this supports, you know, the contention that we are tapping... Um, the notion of that meditation is similar or the same as flow, or the two in, converge very, very closely. The second thing is that, again, we see repeatedly that with just one or two exposures of meditation and w assessing flow features, that before and after, uh, I can give you an example where we just, we worked with... Um, uh, several hundred um, call centre workers uh, here in Sydney, and um, we taught them a meditative. We taught them the meditation today, the same meditation that uh, you've featured in this program, and we assessed their experience of flow before and after the meditative wow. session, and their flow levels across the board increased by an average of about 10%, which may not seem like, like much, but it's, it's statistically significant and I think um, practically significant because we're, talking about, we're not talking about um, elite meditators. We're talking about your average Joe yes. Blow who you know, likes to watch the footy or um, you know, goes to Sizzler and pigs out on a weekend and uh, does a bit of fishing and may or may not be that interested in meditation. Uh, but nevertheless, when given the skill and the experience, these very average representative uh, um, Australians experienced about a 10% improvement in their flow experience. 
and and the, the ramifications for that are two uh, two major ramifications one is that we know that flow the more flow you have the happier you are <laughs> basically the more mentally healthy you are the more centered you are exactly and the second is that generally speaking flow employees in flow are more likely to be more consistently productive like workers in flow that's right this is this is uh, of of major significance in this day and age isn't it because in the in our postmodern world we're very much into the right and politics economics goodness know what keeps pushing us further and further into the right therefore to experience this flow to come back in some way to the balance to the center mm. becomes as time progresses more and more important and I'm thinking of this in terms of of children growing up as well as adults and 80-year-olds like me. Well, I suppose uh, I have two comments to make on that. If uh, given this is a, a talk show, that's what you want. So, um, the first is that the the thing you talked about us being in the right here in the the sort of the modern Western civilization, and in a way, the way that Jung talked about that was that. Our civilization, our Western civilization, is, is doing a lot through the masculine dimension of the psyche. And it's interesting that even though we are exploring pri our existence primarily through that masculine dimension, we've come up with a concept of flow, which in a way is a performance-orientated perspective on, on the meditative state. In the East, you could say that they explored it through the feminine dimension, uh, which on, on the one hand is something like the the goddess and the kundalini and subjective experience rather than objective performance. Being one with nature. One with nature, one with the cosmos and arriving at the same end point which is the experience of the present moment. Huh. And so we're yeah. seeing the convergence through on the one hand flow or on the other the experience of thoughtless awareness, the convergence of the masculine and the feminine at the same point, equilibrium point, which is the experience of mental silence, thoughtless awareness in the present moment. So the best of the East and the best of the West have something in common. That's right. Here is Srimati again talking further about thoughtless awareness. Everybody is ascending individually, though you are collectively contacted with each other and in communication. But the ascendance is individual, absolutely individual. So whether he is your son, brother, sister, wife, friend, you must remember that you are not responsible for their ascendance. You cannot help them for their ascendance. Only mother's grace and their own desire, their own effort to give up all that is three-dimensional will help them. So whenever a thought comes like that, you must know that you have not attained the thoughtless awareness in its full extent. And that's how you have problems which are three-dimensional. Sometimes a Sahaja Yogi will find an emotional will come into his mind. It will be an emotion of dejection or frustration, and he'll be disgusted with himself or with others. 
both things are just the same. I have seen some Sahaja Yogis get very disgusted with others. There should be no disgust that is lasting. Of course, for a short time you might feel a disgust, it's all right, it's a passing phase. Or you might feel disgusted with yourself, maybe a passing phase. But if you go on hankering on to it, or if you go on clinging to it, that means you are conditioning yourself. That means you are not in thoughtless awareness. That means that you are in your past. You are making your past a solid mass on your head. In the present, everything is sweet. Everything is fleeting. That is not eternal. In the present, the eternal stays. The rest all drops out. Regularly Sramatsi talks about deepening our meditation, extending the meditation, and this can be done by coming together, by groups coming together can meditate frequently better, more easily than individuals. And so programs are quite important. For information about programs, there we, you can uh, clock into the net, freemeditation.com.au, freemeditation.com.au or telephone number 1300-724252. We look forward to seeing you at our next program and leave you with Mozart.